I want to I want to begin this morning by asking a question. Uh, have you ever had a job that you really really didn't like? Uh, I remember my first job. It was right out of a junior high. I was like 13 or 14 years old, and I really wanted to buy a surfboard. And my parents were like, "No, we're not going to buy you your own surfboard. You've got to work for it." And so the only place I could find a job was at a pet store. And so I spent hours and hours in a dark room shoveling poop out of hamster cages. And as soon as I made enough money to buy that surfboard, I was out of there. Like, I was out. It was a horrible, horrible job. Uh, Researchers at the University of Aberdeen a few years ago found the single most important factor in life satisfaction and overall well-being is job satisfaction. How you feel about your work turned out to be a bigger predictor of life satisfaction than how you feel about your family, your leisure time, your health, your finances, and your social life. And so they found that, that employees, uh, people that were happy at work, were happy in life. And then there was another study put out by John Maxwell, and he found that outside of genetics, job satisfaction is the number one predictor of how long you will live. Now that you know that, how many of you expect to die at any moment? So a happy work life equals a happy life. Now, this is an important uh, study because uh, they also found that, that 30% of people uh, in the U.S. are unsatisfied with their work. 30% of people in this country have basically checked out when it comes to their job. When you think about it, you know, think about the way Americans talk about their work week. You know, even some of you right now, you're thinking, oh, no, tomorrow is Monday, And then Wednesday is hump day because work is something you get over. And then Thursday is almost Friday. And then, thank God, it's Friday. This is why, by the way, Tuesday is my favorite day of the week. It is the underdog of all days. And so uh, this is the way Americans think about their work. And and this is problematic because, you know, think about it. On average, we will spend over 80,000 hours at work throughout our lifetimes. And so, it's, it's a really important question. Why are we dissatisfied with our jobs? Why, 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 is, why is job satisfaction um, so low in our country? We're going to look at that this morning, uh, or at least part of that this morning. And we're going to do it by looking at, uh, this is Ecclesiastes. Remember, we're in a series. And as Solomon has said that he's talking about life under the sun. And what he's, what he's saying is that when, when you look at life under the sun or when you look at life without respect to God or you look at life minus the perspective of transcendence, he says that life will be meaningless. Life under the sun, life without God in this world, Solomon says it's vanity, it's meaningless. That's the point he's trying to make in this book. And he, and he makes his case in three stages. So uh, Solomon is, is going on what has been called three life projects and each in an effort to discover meaning in life under the sun. He says, where can you find life? He's looking for meaning uh, under the sun, and and the first project that he's on is to make sense of life through learning and wisdom. We saw that two weeks ago, and he concluded, learning is meaningless. And the next quest he is on is to find fulfillment in the pursuit of pleasure. We saw that last week, and he concluded that pleasure and the experience of pleasure is meaningless. And today Solomon uh, gives his third life project, and it's, it's the project, it's the quest to find meaning in life through his vocation. So uh, if the Enneagram was around when Solomon was around, Solomon would be an Enneagram 3. This is a guy who loved achievement. 
And he was good at it. He was really, really good at it. Solomon was probably the most successful man in his career in all of Israel at the time. Maybe the most successful man who has ever lived. So he was the most powerful man uh, who ever lived or, or at the time. He, wa- he, he won battles. He had fame and fortune. Uh, he, was, he, he had risen to the very top of his field. And yet here is Solomon's conclusion to his work. In verse uh, 18, he says, So, after I experienced all of that success, as I look at my job, here's my conclusion. He said, So, I hated my toil, which I toil under the sun. In other words, Solomon says, I hate my job. I hate my job. Here's the most successful man who ever lived, the most accomplished man who ever lived, looks at his job and says, I hate it. I hate it. And the question I want to ask this morning is why does Solomon hate his job? Why does does Solomon find work under the sun so unfulfilling? And I think as we explore that, it's going to help us find meaning in our work. I want to do it by looking at three things in the passage. Number one, I want us to see the dignity of work, first and foremost. Second of all, we're going to see the distortion of work, why it goes bad. And then finally, the redemption of work, of our vocation. And so Solomon, as we look at his quest to find meaning in life through his job, through his achievement, through vocational success, um, the first thing I want us to see is that that there is a dignity to work under the sun. So uh, if you begin in verse 18, he says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who came after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will master all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. When Solomon says that his work is worthless, when Solomon says that his job is meaningless, don't take that to mean that the work itself had no value. Uh, When you read this, don't take it to mean that that in Solomon's brain, uh, uh, accomplishment and achievement is all worthless and a meaningless endeavor. Because when you look at the Bible, uh, the Bible has one of the highest uh, views of work out of all the other sacred writings. And so, uh, for example, when you look at the uh, uh, one uh, ancient creation account called the Enuma Elish, it's a Mesopotamian uh, creation document, uh, the gods created the world and the gods created humanity. And then the gods gave hu- human beings work to do in the world. Why? Because work was beneath the gods. God, the, the gods created humanity to do work so that the gods didn't have to, so that they could sit up there and enjoy their leisure. Another ancient creation account, uh, Pandora's box, some of you may remember that ancient Greek uh, legend, but it's, it's this idea that uh, the gods gave Pandora a, a box, and up until that time, the world was beautiful, the world was glorious, and then Pandora uh, opens the box, and out of the box comes out everything evil in the world, thus the... the the explanation of the problem of evil. So everything bad comes out, including work, right? Even the ancient Greeks, there's one scholar that said that to the ancient Greeks, uh, labor was a curse and nothing more. And so the ancients would agree with the sentiment, T-G-I-F, thank God it's Friday. Work indeed was something to get over. Work was a curse and nothing more. But turn to the Bible, turn to Genesis. Genesis 1.1, you see the creator of the world with his hands in the dirt. The God of the Bible is a worker. 
He creates the world. He, he's, he's an inventor. He's a laborer. He's creating, and he works six days, and he rests on the seventh. And then he creates humanity, and in the Garden of Eden, in paradise, he gives him a job to do. He says, cultivate the earth, cultivate the garden. In other words, in the Bible, according to the biblical view, work is part of paradise. And human beings are made in God's image. And so when we work, we image God. When we labor, when we take part in what God himself does, it gives us dignity and value and worth. And yes, uh, after the fall, work became toil, but, but originally and most basically, human work is a very, very, very good thing. And this is why, you know, when you, when you work really hard at something that is well worth doing, you feel satisfaction, don't you? You know, there are days when um, I feel like I, I didn't do a great job at preaching and, and I kind of a flop or whatever, and I go, be- go to bed sort of frustrated, but there are other days where I feel like I've knocked it out of the park, whether you guys think so or not. And, and I work really hard and I'm exhausted by the end of Sunday and I feel incredibly satisfied in my work. And some of you feel that way too if you're an artisan and you are, are building a house and you're making cabinets or whatever you're doing. You stand back and you, and you look at your work and like God you say, it is good. And there's incredible satisfaction there. You're a doctor and you're, and you're uh, there working at your craft, healing people's bodies. There's incredible satisfaction in that labor. It's because work is something that brings incredible human dignity. It is part of being made in God's image. And I think in the church, I want to say this because I feel like in the church, we have not given secular work its, its, uh, its proper due. You know, a lot of times we think of callings and people serving the Lord, and you think, well, the minister serves the Lord, but I just do my job. But according to the Bible, every single job is a calling. You know, some of you are ordained teachers, and some of you are ordained plumbers, and some of you are ordained uh, artisans. And what you are doing is serving God. Nobody knew this better than Martin Luther. And Martin Luther used to say that, you know, God feeds his creation. God takes care of his creation. How does God take feed and take care of his creation? Well, he says your food doesn't drop out of heaven onto your table. God feeds you through the farmer. And God feeds you through the truck driver who takes the produce to market. And God feeds you through the people that package your, your, your goods. And so every single human endeavor is serving the Lord. You are serving humanity. You are doing God's work as you, as you engage in your vocation. So there is inherent dignity and value to work. This is why it feels so good and satisfying when you do something well that's well worth doing. Uh, Dorothy Sayers put it this way. I love what she says. She says, The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisurely hours. And to come to church on Sundays, she says, what the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is is that he should make good tables. (laughs) Right? What does it mean to serve God as a pilot? It means that you land the plane. What does it mean to serve God as a teacher? It means that you care about your students. What does it mean to serve God as a doctor? Well, if you're, if you're my doctor, you know, it's great if you read your Bible in the morning, but I want you to do a good job on that surgery, to, to perfect your craft. It glorifies God. And so every work is a calling. According to the Bible, 
Work is part of paradise. And when you serve God, you feel his pleasure. This is why, you remember uh, Chariots of Fire? Uh, Eric uh, Little, he was the, the runner in the Olympics. I forget what year it was, 1935 or something. And his sister was a devout Christian. And at one point, she comes to Eric Little and says, uh, why are you wasting your time with running? She said, you're a good speaker. Why don't you go be a pastor or a missionary or something? Why waste your time, you know, uh, training and working so hard to run fast? And he says, well, listen, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And so when you read Solomon and he's looking at his work and he's saying it's all worthless, it's all vanity, it's all toil, it's all chasing after the wind, do not interpret this to mean that work itself is an unworthy endeavor. There is dignity and value inherently in human work. And so what's the problem? Second point. Uh, what is, what is the, what's the problem? Well, the second point is that Solomon distorted this good gift. The reason why Solomon hates his job the reason why Solomon is, is so frustrated with his, his daily work week is because he's distorted this good gift that God gave us at the very beginning. Because what is he doing? Solomon is taking something that is meant to give him dignity. Solomon is taking something that's meant uh, to, to help him bring God glory and is using it to give himself a definition. Right, work has has become something that's more than dignity, it's become definition. He's working not only to do a good job and to glorify God and serve others, he is working to give himself ultimate meaning in life. Solomon, remember this is a project that he's on, this is a life project, and he's saying, uh, can I find ultimate satisfaction in my job? And so this is what he's doing, this is what he's about. He's trying to, he's looking at work to give him a self and an ultimate identity. And this is when work gets distorted, and this, this is when it becomes incredibly, incredibly unsatisfying. And by the way, it's not just Solomon who's doing this. I was reading a book by Luke Ferry, who's a, uh, he's a, he's a philosopher, and he wrote a very fine book called A Brief History of Thought. And he's talking about the modern world and the way we view our work, and he says this, with our society's emphasis on the self, self-realization, self-actualization, Work has become the defining activity of man. Individualism has tended to elevate one's work to the highest rung as a form of salvation. Here's your problem, says says Luke Ferry. Here's what Solomon is doing, and so many of us are doing this too. We're elevating our achievement. We're elevating our work to an ultimate status, and we're trying to get an identity out of it. We're trying to get a self. This is why, by the way, the second question you ask somebody in our culture is what? What do you do? Almost as if by knowing what a person does for a living, you learn something essential about their identity. When I was working in the, the business world, and I worked in the business world for a while, I was a sales trainer, a really bad one. (laughs) <laughs> by the way, and it, you, you should be glad that I'm a pastor because I think I'm better at this than I was at that. I was really bad at that. Anyway, uh, during, during uh, the year, there were these little um, uh, training sessions that we would do, a little reviews, and I always did a really poor job. And so she would have a lot to talk to me about, you know, and she'd tell me how bad I was doing. And every single time she would, we would meet, she'd look at me and say, Brent, you're better than that. You are better than this. 
what you're doing. And that always frustrated me. She wasn't saying you can do better. She says you are better, almost as if I am my work. And this is the way Americans so often view their jobs, is we are our work. We're looking for glory, in other words, right? People like Solomon and and Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible, they are looking for glory in their work. They're looking for transcendence. They're looking for identity and what they do. Are you doing this as you look at your career? How do you know if you're doing this? Well, well look, at, look at what happened to Solomon as he made work an ultimate value. The first thing that we see is that he's incredibly anxious about his job. He's incredibly anxious about his job. So look in verse 23. He says, For all the days are full of sorrow, and his work is vexation. Another, another way of saying his work is anxiety-inducing. And then he says, even in the night, his heart does not rest. He's not sleeping at night. How do you know that your work is becoming way too important to you? You, you begin to have nightmares about it. A couple nights ago, I had a nightmare about pastoring. And I was, I was at a wedding, and I was there, and I got there a little bit late, and then I realized I was doing the wedding. And so it was at the house, and I ran in the house, and I started Googling wedding vows and trying to print those out. And then people started saying, where's the pastor? Where's the pastor? And I'm like stressed out about it, you know. And then I get up there, and I'm about to do the wedding, and I realize I'm not wearing pants. (laughs) And then I woke up in a cold sweat, and I thought to myself, my job is becoming a little bit too important to me. And how do you know when work is, you're, you're using work to give you a self. It's when you start to stress about it, and you can't sleep at night, and failure becomes very problematic, problematic because failure is not an option. If your identity is in your work, failure is not an option. Because when you fail, you don't just lose the customer or lose the opportunity, you lose a self. And so you can't fail. And you must achieve. And you go to work, and maybe if you're a boss, you become incredibly hard on those under you. Because we cannot fail. My identity is riding on this thing. Or if you're not in the job that you feel like you were meant to be in, you know, this is part of uh, living in an achievement culture. You, there is, there are, we have dreams and we have, you know, the ideal job. And if you're not in that job that, you, that is your ideal, if you've made job that important, you become incredibly frustrated with failure. Uh, I, in California, I, was, uh, I worked in a, I was a pastor of a very small church in downtown um, Long Beach. And many, many of my, uh, my, um, parishioners, is that what you call them, these kids? They were aspiring actors and artists and musicians. And so you talk to them and they, you say, what do you, what do you do for a living? And they say, well, what I want to do is I want to be a musician or I want to be in, in show business or I want to do this. Yeah, but what are you doing? <clears throat> I work at Starbucks. <clears throat> I work at Walmart. And it's almost like all of these kids were having a crisis because so much of their identity was wrapped up in that work. And so Solomon's life is filled with crisis. He can't sleep at night because he must achieve. And failure is not an option. But, but notice uh, failure is not, problem, just, is not the only thing that's problematic. Success is problematic. If you're getting glory from your job, success becomes incredibly problematic. Uh, the old, uh, the, the word in the Bible for people that are doing this is, is the word vain glory. 
And vainglory literally means empty glory. And if, if your job is your ultimate, if you're getting a self from your job, there, the glory that you get from that is empty. It's, it doesn't satisfy. The greatest success you could possibly have does not do it for you. And this is what Solomon's trying to communicate. Here's a guy, he's like Alexander the Great. There's nothing left for this man to conquer. He has achieved the ultimate in this life in terms of career. And as one uh, commentator said, it's like he goes up the ladder of success, he looks over the edge, and he has the wherewithal to come back down and tell the rest of us, there's nothing up there. There's nothing up there. I've been there, and I've done it, and it does not satisfy And so many of us, you know, we're thinking if I could only get in that place in my career, if I could only, you know, do this or do that, then I'm going to finally get that glory. And Solomon says it's empty. It's empty glory. It's not found in success. What you're looking for is not there. Um, One of my my favorite bands, I'll admit this, is Radiohead. Anybody else with me here on this one? One of the best bands, I think, in the last 20 years, just a really good band, and um, the, the lead singer, the front man of the band, his name is Tom York, and I was listening to an interview with Tom York uh, that he did on, on TV, and they started asking him about his achievement, and, they, and Radiohead is a really, really successful band, and this is what he says. He says, I thought when I got to where I wanted to be, everything would be different. I'd be somewhere else. I thought it'd be all white, fluffy clouds. And then I got there, and I'm still here. And when the interviewer asked, why in the end have you done what you've done, York replied, it's filling the hole. That's all anyone does. What happens to the hole, the interviewer said. And after a long pause, York said, it's still there. He's echoing Solomon. All the achievement in the world is not going to fill the hole. It's empty glory. You will not find the transcendence that you're looking for in your career. And this is why Solomon, as you look through this whole passage, he's so vexed. And one thing that's really getting him is is that everything that he's working for, everything that he's pouring his life into, building this kingdom, uh, you know, getting safe borders, all that stuff, he says, here's the problem. Everything that I work for, um, when I die, I'm gonna give it to somebody else. He says this in the passage like three times. He says, it's so frustrating. You work so hard and then when you die, you give it to somebody else and who knows whether they're gonna take care of it. And here's the, here's the funny thing is in Solomon's life, when he died and Rehoboam took his place, within one generation, Rehoboam lost almost everything that Solomon worked for. So you can't control that success. You, there's no la- it doesn't last. You're, it's, you are not going to get the transcendence that you're looking for in your job. And try to do that, Solomon says. It's going to be vexation. It's going to be sleepless nights. And ultimately, he says, it's going to be despair. Okay. So how do we, what's the redemption of work then? So we've seen that, that work, uh, work is basically a good thing. It, it, get, it brings dignity and worth. It feels good to do something that is well worth doing. And yet, so many of us, we take this good thing and we elevate it. We're, we're looking for a self in our job, and that always lets us down and distorts our work. And so is there a way to redeem work under the sun? 
Is there a way to get back to God's original design for human work? To a place where it is dignity and not definition. Where it is a good gift but not an ultimate God. I think the way to do that is uh, what Solomon does is he points us to transcendence. The book of Ecclesiastes, the reason why he's, he's pointing out why so many things are meaningless in this life is not simply to depress us, but to point us to transcendence, to point us beyond this life. And I think what Solomon is going to say here is that ultimately there is a pleasure, there is a glory uh, that you're looking for in work that is only satisfied in God. So part of the reason why we look for, and stay with me here, part of the reason why we look for um, achievement to give us an an identity is because we're looking for glory. And what is glory? Right, when you think about glory, don't think of like being a human light bulb, like, hey, I'm glorious, I shine everywhere. Think think about fame. This is what C.S. Lewis says. Think about fame. Think about somebody looking at you and appreciating you. Think about somebody looking at you and saying, oh, well done. You're amazing. This is glory. And C.S. Lewis, in his essay, Weight of Glory, he talks about this. He says, glory is basically something that is built in you. So he says, think about it. Think about children. Every child wants glory. And parents, you know this. You're looking at your iPhone and your child comes up and says, look at me, daddy. Watch me, daddy. Look at me, daddy. And and they want you to look at them and notice them and appreciate them. And Lewis says that there is something very essential about human beings. We want glory like that. And this is why we work so hard to achieve. But as Solomon says, we will never get glory from, from our achievement. So where do we get it? Lewis says, the place you find glory is in the gospel. God has the glory that you're looking for. So this is what C.S. Lewis says. This is weight of glory. He says, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think about God, how we think of God. By God himself, it is not. How God thinks about us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. It is written that we shall stand before him shall appear, shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise, almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ, that some of us, that any of us who really chooses shall actually survive that examination, shall find approval, shall please God, to please God, to be a real ingredient in, divine hap- in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father in a son. It seems impossible a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but it is so. In the gospel, Lewis says, you get glory. In the gospel, you get the fame that you're looking for, the God of the universe, the the one that matters most, looks at you and says, son, daughter, I am well pleased. It is justification. It is God looking at you and saying, you have an identity. And it's an identity not based upon your work, but based upon the perfect work of Jesus. It is acquittal in the highest court in the universe. It is God looking at you and saying, you're good. You're okay. You are justified. Glory is getting a self. 
Glory is getting an identity. Glory is being filled up by God's opinion of you in the gospel. And this is why Solomon at the end here, he says, for the one who pleases God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. He says, here's where it's found. It's not found in achievement. It's found in divine pleasure. And so on Sunday, you sit here and I tell you about your identity. I say your fundamental identity is, is, is beloved child of God in Christ. But throughout the week, every other voice in your life says your fundamental identity is what you make of yourself in the w- real world. And what I want to say to you today is that if you're ever going to enjoy your work, you need to stop trying to be justified by your work. You need to work out of a strong, secure identity. And if you know who you are, then work just becomes work. And failure is, hey, it's bad, but it's not, it's not the end of the world. And success is what it is. And you can go into your job and you can enjoy it and you can glorify God. Work out of your, don't work for an identity, work out of your identity in Jesus. Don't work for glory, get your glory in the person and work of Christ. So I think one of the best uh, compliments I've ever received as a preacher, and, and for me, guys, just to be honest, like a lot of times I try to get a self by preaching good sermons. And sometimes this is why I can't sleep on Saturday night. I'm just so, I, I need to, to succeed. But when I'm secure in my identity in Jesus, when I already have that glory and I have myself, then I could actually enjoy preaching. And one of the, the best uh, compliments I ever had was when I was younger, was when I first started preaching, and uh, this, this, a friend of mine went up, and, and she didn't, uh, it was after I was done, I was down there in the, in the congregation, and she didn't say that was a good sermon. She said, Brent, it really looked like you were enjoying yourself. And at the end of the day, this, at the, at the end of the day, this is how God wants you to approach your job. Just enjoy it. Do well what is well worth doing, but get your identity in Christ alone. So we're going to stop there, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to take communion. Um, But communion is is a time when we remind ourselves of the glory we have in Christ. It's a a time when we remind ourselves of the identity that we have because of the work of Jesus. And so this morning as you come forward and you take the elements Remind yourself of who you are. You are a child of God. You, are, you already have God's approval because of what Christ has done. And so um, let's pray and then we'll, we'll come forward. Father, we thank you so much that, God, you have given us an identity in Christ. We thank you for um, the fact that although uh, work is a good thing, um, our identities do not ride on whether we succeed or not. God, this morning as we take communion as your people, we pray that you would remind us of the wonderful privilege we have, of the free gift of identity. God, remind us of who we are. And we pray that you do this in Jesus' name.